Welcome. Yeah, all these renovations, really exciting and uh, fun. I'm looking forward to what God's doing here. And we, I look back at our church when we started, and so we had this annual picnic not too long ago, but when we started, there were no children, and it was all full of dogs. Everyone brought their dog. And so there was like 20 or 30 dogs. You know, fast forward it to where the church is now, there were three dogs, and there were like 50 kids. It was just like all over the place. So we've made a change. I think we've evolved. And so it's neat just to see what's happening. And so we've put a lot of thought into our children's ministry in terms of safety and what we want to provide for the kids and just nice, bright, happy spaces. And so a lot of investments have been made financially as well as just praying spiritually and, and your, your help in doing all that. So we really, really appreciate that. And so now we, we kind of have most of the cosmetic stuff done, but we're going to be wiring a security system in there for uh, video surveillance. And so we can see at every time when something's happening, we're, we have to put the glass doors in there or plexiglass, they're not shatterproof, but you can see through and all these kind of things that we take some precautions on. We're doing the same thing across the street for the youth rooms as well. And so we're doing all that we can to put people's minds at ease, parents' minds at ease. And so you can continue to pray through that with us. And uh, we'd appreciate your contributions in however way you can, whether that's serving in the ministries or giving towards them or, or however you feel called to do that. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your provision, your blessing, and we pray, Lord, for us to be sensitive to how your Holy Spirit is leading, that we would not go ahead of you, that we would be listening carefully as to how you're leading, and we would walk in step to that in obedience, in submission to whatever that is. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, for your filling of your children. We need you. We need you to work in a place that is not always receptive to you in a place that is in desperate need of transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the subject matter of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this experience with the Holy Spirit is also referred to as the gift of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to try to wrap up this particular topic now, in past messages, it was established that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a distinct, separate, different experience that followed the conversion of being saved or being born again, you know, those types of terms that are out in Christendom. And so we saw the proofs of this last week as we journeyed through the book of Acts, and we looked at the varied ways that the Holy Spirit filled his followers of Jesus after they trusted Jesus as Lord. And if you have any kind of questions about that, you can tune into iTunes and pull up that past message. Now, in wrapping up this topic, let's see what the baptism of the Holy Spirit experience is. And so for that, we're going to turn to John chapter 7, and we're going to look through verses 37 through 39. Let me read verse 37 for us. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What was John talking about? You know, the last day of the feast, the great day, what is all this stuff? Well, we need to look at context. So what happened before verse 37? What happened after verse 37? And so before verse 37, Jesus was in Jerusalem. And while he was there, he said this in verses 33 and 34, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. 
You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And so this had the people wondering, what in the world is he talking about? And then we get to this verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, this uh, last day, this feast that is being talked about here is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, also known as Sukkot. And what this feast celebrated was God's sheltering provision and care for the Israelites uh, during the 40 years they were wandering in the desert after the exodus from the slavery of Egypt. And so this miraculous provision of God every day for 40 years. Sukkot is plural for sukkah, which means booth or tabernacle. So you get the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booth. So the booth is this walled structure and it was covered with some sort of organic plant growth. Organic. Very applicable here in the Bay Area. So like palm leaves or like bamboo or something like that. And so they would build a sukkah to commemorate this small, hastily built hut that the Israelites built when they were living in the desert. They just had to erect these things. No REI then, right? So they had to just put up these kind of tents and they put up these kind of little shacks. And so during this holiday, Meals would be celebrated inside this little hut. And people would recite blessings and, and commemorate this time. And they would sing songs. And, and people would sleep in there uh, with their families in these booths. It's celebrated today. And if you go to Israel during this time, especially if you go into the Orthodox Jew section of Israel, you'll notice that when you're traveling through there during the Feast of Tabernacles, you'll see a, a bunch of these booths with tops covered with palm leaves and bamboo and other organic materials with, with the families celebrating, eating meals together, sleeping in there during this week of celebration. And from a religious Jewish perspective, what does this mean? This is a prophetic celebration. This was anticipating the, the coming of Messiah, Yeshua. And so during the seven days of Sukkot, this sacrificial pouring out of water was done as we go back into the book of John, the Gospel of John. How are they celebrating there? So in this ceremony, what would happen was the high priest, he would lead a processional to the pool of Siloam. And as he was going there, he would take his golden pitcher and he would dip it in the pool there and he would take this water and he would take this back to the courtyard of the temple. And so when the high priest got there, he would pour out this gold uh, pitcher of, filled with water. And so the great crowd all around them, they would cheer and, and they would start waving their branches, which is called the lulavat, you know, those palm tree branches and things like that. And they would sing out Hallel Psalms and Psalms like 118 verses 25 through 26. Psalm 118 is regarded as a messianic psalm. And so when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, you remember this scene, Matthew chapter 21 verses 8 through 9, he was greeted with shouts of Hosanna, right? Hosanna, save us. And, and the waving of palm trees, well that waving of the palm trees, those are the lulavs. That's what they were doing. And so this is what was happening. And as the Messiah King would come and deliver his people, as it says in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. And so they would be singing and waving and being all excited about this stuff and, and worshiping and singing these psalms like Psalm 118. And the water was poured out to splash on the pavement there. And so this reminded them of how their forefathers 
out in the desert, thirsted for water in the desert. And so Moses then, you know, you remember this story, Moses took the rod and he struck the rock and as God commanded him and, and the waters started gushing out and the Israelites were reminded of how the provision of water came out of the rock. And so their forefathers drank that water and, and they didn't die of thirst and it's one of the numerous ways of God's provision. So now you have this kind of context in your head and you look back to John chapter 7 verse 37 and you read this. On the last day of the feast, the great day. So it's a week of celebration of this Sukkot. You know, they're building the huts. They're, they're doing all this stuff. They're pouring the water, all the branches. They're singing these messianic psalms. And so on the last day, the high priest would not lead a procession. The last day was done. He wouldn't go down to the pool of Siloam with his golden pitcher and fill it up with water and dump it out into the temple courtyard. He would not do that. Because it was done. It was finished. The water was provided, right? So when he did this in front of the masses, there was this huge celebration of waving and singing. But why not on the last day? Why, why wouldn't they do that on the last day? And it was because God fulfilled his promise to bring the Israelites into the land that had water. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It's the great day, a day to remember that God delivered on his promise. So on the last day, they didn't do that. Now you move on to the second part of verse 37 in John chapter 7. This is the last day. They don't do this stuff. And then Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Do you get how gutsy this is? Because this is supposed to be done. This is the last day of the feast. He's been pouring out the water. They've been waving the things. They've been singing and they've been celebrating. Oh, you know, the Messiah is coming and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus is like, if any one of you thirst, you guys have seen the pictures of this water being poured out this whole time. I'm it. I'm that Messiah. And so this was a day when the masses of the people gathered there to worship God. And so you can imagine all the masses of people there. And tradition tells us that Jesus stood up and shouted this during the time of day when the high priest would pour out the water on the pavement. That pouring out of the water from the high priest that doesn't happen on the last day. Jesus kind of came in and took that place. What does Jesus do? He stands up and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So an extremely bold claim, declaring himself Messiah in front of all these people. And you notice his posture. Jesus stood up. Now what's the big deal about that? Well, Back then in that culture, in that time, it was the rabbi, it was the teacher who would stand up when he was teaching. Someone would stand up when they were making a proclamation, a declaration of truth. So Jesus took this opportunity to speak about living water. And Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Will never be thirsty again. Now, if anyone knows about thirst, it would be people who live in the desert. Now, Israel, if you've never been there, extremely dry, an extremely arid piece of land, and people in that region are very familiar with thirst. In fact, when you go there and we're praying about doing another pilgrimage there in a few years, we just went last year, but we're praying about in a couple of years possibly doing that again. We always tell you, drink water. Drink water. Drink water all the time. And so 
water is probably the most valuable resource in that land. You know, when they're fighting about stuff, a lot of the fighting is because of this fresh water body called the Sea of Galilee, because that is a huge water source there, because where there is no water, there's no life. And so here are people who are very aware that water is paramount to survival. And Jesus knew this as well. But he wasn't making reference to physical water or physical thirst. Jesus was referring to spiritual thirst. See, as humans, we are a threefold being. We are spirit, mind, and body. And so Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 13, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. When a person is living in sin, their spirit is dead. The spirit of a person does not come into life until he is born again by the spirit of God. We as humans have this threefold being, spirit, mind, you know, the consciousness, the feelings, emotions, those types of things, and body. And all three parts of our being experience thirst. So we experience physical thirst, and we experience emotional thirst, and we also experience spiritual thirst. Now, every one of us is aware of physical thirst because we have experienced that. And we have this drive that is just so basic in terms of instinct in us that has this drive for physical thirst. And in terms of physical drives, this is one of the most strong of drives because without it, you will die. And so there are other drives that are important, like uh, hunger and air, but the drive for fluid, that is right up there. And so we have these receptors within our system, and, and our body can detect these imbalances, and it signals the central nervous system, and so it shoots off, and so we start getting dry mouth, and, and we have all these different symptoms that tell us that uh, we're thirsty, like skin turgor, and, and you can look at your eyes, and all these types of things that you can tell. The bottom line is we physically thirst. You have to drink. You will die within a few days if you do not take in fluids. And so for those close to death because their fluid levels are off, they get frantic and they go into this desperate search for something to drink. And very often the first thing that happens when you are checked into a paramedic unit or when you go into the ER or you're going into surgery, what is the, one of the first things that they do? They hook you up to an IV. And it might be no medicine in the IV at all, but they hook you up to an IV. It might just be a saline drip, but they want to be sure that you are hydrated, and they want to be sure that they can easily push whatever else they want to in your system really quickly, a drug or whatever that is. Now, secondly, I think most of us are very aware of emotional thirst as well, that we need love, we need to be loved, and we need those types of things. Now, there's been a lot of research done with babies and their need for love early on in life. And so I've had some friends who served as missionaries in Romania to orphans. And so their whole ministry was to just 
love babies. They'd hold them and they'd pray for them and they'd sing to them. They'd rock them, feed them, change them. They were just there to love them. And in Romania, many of these orphaned babies didn't get this type of love and so their emotional thirst has not been filled. And there are signs of this emotional thirst not being met. And when those babies are old enough to sit up, there are symptoms of that thirst as well, just, there are, just as there are for physical thirst, like the skin turgor, your skin stays the same, or your dry mouth. The emotional kind of symptoms that these babies exhibited is when they stood up, they would just rock. And they would just rock all day. They'd be rocking all day long. But I think this other symptom is more disturbing to me. They don't cry. Babies that don't cry? They're just rocking and they don't cry. Because what's so sad about not crying is that's how they communicate, right? Whether they're hungry or they need a diaper change or whatever they need, they don't have words. And so that line of communication, they've cut it out. They have given up. So emotionally, they've checked out. They've given up emotionally and they've just become this really parched desert and they just kind of move along life rocking. And so there's this generation in Romania known as the Lost Generation by UNICEF in Romania. And one of those in that generation, they did an interview with him, a BBC interview, several years ago. And so they interviewed this once orphan who is now an adult. And they started interviewing him. And he said, I wanted love and a stable identity, but I couldn't find it. So love and a stable identity, you know, security, safety, needs, all these unmet emotional needs, this emotional thirst. And then lastly, there's a spiritual thirst. Now in every person, there's a spirit, and every person's spirit, there is a spiritual thirst. There's a need for God, that we need God. In Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 21, it's written, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So deep within each person's spirit is a thirst for a relationship with God. Creation was subjected to futility because God subjected it, in hopes that creation will be set free by having a relationship with God. We were created to have a relationship with God. And that is a spiritual need in all of us. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He is not speaking of physical or emotional thirst, even though he could provide for those things. He hit the rock in the desert, right? And physically, emotionally, he met that woman at the well. He ministered to her. And even there, he was feeling a a spiritual thirst there as, as well as an emotional thirst. And so he could do those things. But here he's speaking of spiritual thirst, the thirst within each person's spirit to have a relationship with God. We are a threefold being, body, mind, and spirit. And so all three parts of us are distinct and separate, but they're also well integrated and they are without confusion. We all know that these are all different things, that we all need them filled differently. And even though all three parts of us are distinct, sometimes it's really difficult and challenging for us to distinguish. This is the most difficult. What is mind and what is spirit? 
Maybe some of you have experienced this in your prayers. When you're praying and you're wondering, is that my mind or is that my spirit that is telling me these things? How do I tell the difference? And sometimes it's challenging to distinguish between what is the physical and what is the spirit or the mind because you're thinking, is that my spirit or is that the pizza I just ate? And you're like, I cannot tell. I'm in anguish. And so, you know, the, the three parts of our being, they're so well integrated that whatever affects you emotionally, it affects you physically. Right? Your emotions drive your body. You ever notice what happens to someone's face when they get embarrassed? They're <laughs> tied. Right? They're tied. You turn pink. Some turn very red. You notice when someone's angry. And when someone says, I'm not angry. <laughs> All you have to do is look right here. Because these veins just bulge out. Right? So even though they may even look calm in their face, because some people can hide it in their face, I'm not angry. <sighs> they're like the Hulk. It's like the veins, they're just about to burst. You ever see someone who is experiencing anxiety? Anxiety. You look at their chest. You look how they're breathing and the pace of their breathing and the depth of their breathing. Or when, when you hear someone say, man, I'm sick to my stomach. Because something emotionally has happened to them. So if it's an emotion of guilt, usually that physically manifests in the upper gastrointestinal tract. And if it's something that's of shame, it's usually on the lower GI tract. It's so tied together. When I'm doing counseling, I'm not just hearing what someone is saying. I'm looking at them because what they're saying, they can be lying to me, but their body usually doesn't because they usually don't know that their body's doing that. And so if they're looking to the right or to the left, I'm not going to tell you which because when you're meeting with me, you're probably going to focus on, oh, I better look this way because he's going to know. I'm not going to tell you that if you look in one particular way, I'm not telling you which, you are actually speaking from your heart and not your mind. And your heart is not lying to me. So when I know you're looking that way, that's more truthful. You're looking the other way, he could be lying to me. It's all tied. It's all tied together. So now when you're going to talk to me, you're just going to look straight at me. <laughs> I'll catch you another way. There's other physical things. And this is not just a bunch of psychobabble. Okay? It's in the scriptures. Look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A joyful heart, emotional, is good medicine, but a crushed spirit, spiritual, dries up the bones, physical. So three parts of our being all integrated. A joyful heart is good medicine. Conversely, an emotionally negative heart is poison. So the emotional affects the physical. Have you ever noticed when people are depressed, they physically don't want to do anything? So we've all observed things physically and how they manifest between those people and in their behavior and how they are because of how they're doing emotionally. And it's all tied together. And so we've also observed how physical things, like exercising, affects us emotionally. That usually after you exercise and those endorphins are releasing, you feel good. Right? After you go for a good hike or after you have a good workout or something. And what we eat and what we drink also affects us emotionally. It just plays on you, right? If you have too much sugar. If I don't have 
meat, I get grumpy. I do not understand vegetarianism. I don't understand that stuff. I don't. I, I know I'm in the Bay Area. I've tried it. And it takes me about two weeks to detox so that I can live a normal life eating vegetables. So I've done it. But I just know that my body, if I don't have some form of protein that day, I am so grumpy. And so there's also a spiritual effect from what we do physically and emotionally. It's all tied. You sometimes wonder, like, man, I'm experiencing this attack. And so is it an emotional thing or is it a spiritual thing? When we physically feel a certain way, is that an emotional thing or is that a spiritual thing? And to discern between the emotional and the spiritual, sometimes that is really challenging. And what do you need to do? You need to turn to the Word of God. It's going to tell you there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Soul and spirit. Soul in terms of mind, right? Consciousness and spirit. The Word of God helps us to discern between the emotional and the spiritual parts within our being. So when there is confusion between what is emotional and what is spiritual, we need to go to the Word of God. Now we know that we have three parts of our being that are distinct and separate, integrated without confusion. Body, mind, spirit, all affecting one another. And knowing this is helpful in that it will help to address your need. You have to know which need it is in order to meet that need. So if you are in need of water, like I just was, to satisfy physical thirst, you need to have a drink of water. If it's emotional, it will not be satisfied by having a drink of water. And we must satisfy the physical with the physical, the emotional with the emotional, the spiritual with the spiritual. And when we try to satisfy a respective thirst with something that does not match, that's a bad thing. That's a really disastrous thing. This is when people try to satisfy emotional things with physical things or with spiritual, and they start mixing all this type of stuff. And so when the need is actually emotional or spiritual, but they look to drugs, they look to sex, they look to alcohol, pornography. They look to physical things to address those things. And you drive into those physical addictions when you actually need an emotional or spiritual need met. And it's not going to work. Or when you try to satisfy spiritual needs with emotional needs. So maybe you go from unhealthy relationship to unhealthy relationship. Because you're trying to satisfy a spiritual need and you're confusing it with emotion, so you think it's going to be found in a relationship. And so you end up going through these horrible relationships to try to satisfy a spiritual thirst, and it's not going to work. We need to be able to identify the real need in order to address that need with a real remedy. And so there are people all over the world who are dying because they don't have access to drinkable water. So it is not helpful for Christians to go to them and share the gospel with them without a cup of water. It makes no sense. It makes no sense for a group of people who have really good intentions to go over there and provide them with counseling about their problems. Oh, so you're thirsty. Tell me how you feel about that. 
water. It's not addressing the physical need. They're trying to address an emotional need, and that's not going to help. So it's just not the appropriate treatment, and so we need to look for appropriate treatments to satisfy particular thirst. It is not helpful for people to go to them and just start teaching them the Bible and addressing those spiritual needs when they're dying of physical thirst without giving them a drink of water. Right? Give them a drink of water. And so, of course, we need to satisfy spiritual thirst, emotional thirst. I'm not saying that physical takes precedence over those things. I'm saying what is appropriate at the time? And you address that. And so in the case of someone dying physically of bodily thirst, it's time to hydrate them. It's time to stick that IV in them and to bring them back to vitality. And so we have to correctly diagnose the need and address that need appropriately. And I know that we as a church and we as people, we are really well-intentioned. But sometimes we don't diagnose correctly and we mistreat people. I was just at a meeting with World Vision a couple weeks ago and they were talking about relief efforts because of things happening. And so recently we just had this Oklahoma tornado go through and so addressing these types of things. And so they were talking about how people are really helpful and they have really good hearts. And they just started flooding the southeast region in Louisiana when Hurricane Katrina hit truckloads of down jackets from Minnesota. This church got together, they put together this truckload of down jackets and they brought it down to Louisiana. It's hecka hot. I mean, what are they going to do with down parkas? I was like, did they make pillows? Like, it's good stuff. So, but you know, we need to address thirst appropriately. We need, it's not just about well intentions or good intentions when someone has lost a loved one, it's probably not the time to tell them, you're a sinner and you need Jesus. Bad timing. Horrible timing. Absolutely true statement. But that's not the thirst that needs to be addressed at that time. That's an emotional thirst that needs to be addressed. So we need to diagnose the thirst correctly and then treat accordingly. So it is with spiritual thirst. To properly diagnose when it is spiritual thirstiness and that needs to be quenched and to satisfy that. So that thirst is in every person and we know that and we need to properly diagnose when to treat that and not to satisfy spiritual thirst with a physical or an emotional need, which I think a lot of Christians do because we're afraid. We're afraid to share the gospel. We're afraid to evangelize. We're afraid to share about the love of God. We're afraid to share about scriptures. And we chicken out. And we chicken out and we say, uh, uh, we're in the hospital room, right? And, and they are getting their physical needs met. And they are getting their emotional needs met. It's time for a spiritual satisfaction. And you're just like, um, do you need something to eat? Can I get you a drink of water? And the pitcher of water is right there. Right? And, and you start going off, off track, when you need to address spiritual thirstiness. And so you start throwing things in there like that. And you start asking, so how do you feel? When you've already talked several hours about how the person feels and you're still trying to get there and express their emotions when really they need for you to pray with them. For you to share the scriptures with them so that they hear the promises of God to them. And not to chicken out to fulfill that spiritual thirstiness. 
And so we all have this deep thirst for God, and it can't be filled physically or emotionally. Jesus addressed the spiritual thirst in John chapter 7, verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And Jesus is the only remedy to satisfy a spiritual thirst. And you notice how Jesus takes that personal responsibility for satisfying this spiritual thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Not someone like me or us, me. Come to me and drink. And so it's a statement that's bold and there is no alternative. He's saying it's me. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And Jesus there claimed to be God, to be the answer to spiritual thirst. Same thing happened in John chapter 4 when Jesus was ministering to that Samaritan woman at the well. And so John chapter 4 verses 13 and 14. You take notice how Jesus took ownership of satisfying spiritual thirst. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The well water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then you jump to verse 23, and we'll read through 26. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. There's no mincing of words with Jesus. He's taking full ownership of this. I am Messiah. I am God. And another proclamation can be found in Mark chapter 10 when a man ran up to Jesus and he asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus was not denying that he was God. Jesus was agreeing that he is good. And therefore, he is God. And so when Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, that's the gospel. Right? If you are spiritually thirsty, go to Jesus. He'll satisfy your spiritual thirst. And if you go to Jesus to satisfy your spiritual thirst, what happens? Let's go back to John chapter 7, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, what scripture was Jesus referring to here? It's more than likely Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Now, going back to verse 38 in John chapter 7. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, the Greek word for the word heart there is more accurately translated innermost being. And the picture of what Jesus was saying here, out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water. Not a trickle. Rivers. It is not like a drop. It is a torrent. It's a flood. It's gushing living water. So don't imagine like your garden hose. Right? Imagine like Niagara Falls. It's just like coming. And you recall that Jesus made this declaration on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles when the high priest did not pour water out and it was just a pitcher. And the water poured out on the ground. Jesus is saying, rivers. Not a golden container. Rivers. And Jesus made that a declaration and some people were thinking at that point, this guy must be a prophet. 
And others thought, this is the Christ. And if you look at verses 43 through 44, it'll give us a little more insight. There was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. And so you turn back to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and the streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Now keep in mind, John wrote this biography of Jesus, the Gospel of John, about 60 years after his time with Jesus in the city of Ephesus. Now Ephesus, why did John go to Ephesus? John was commissioned to take care of Mary, Jesus' mother, and that's where John brought her. He brought her to Ephesus, and if you go to Ephesus today, if you hike up the top of the hill, it's about a 30-40 minute hike, there's Mary's house. Is it really Mary's house, or is it just a tourist attraction? I don't know. (laughs) But... Mary's house is there, and she really did live there. If that's the actual house, I don't know. So we really know that she did live there, though, okay? And and we know that John brought her there and took care of her there. And so this is where he wrote the Gospel of John, this biography of Jesus. And so 60 years is a lot of time to process what happened. You just think about his depth of experience. He lives through so many experiences walking with Jesus those three years. And then after that, as a pioneer of Christianity, a leader of Christianity, he's one of the early leaders. He is the one commissioned to take care of Jesus' mom. I mean, this guy is so rich in depth of understanding and gaining and and talking to Jesus' mom. Like, So how was he as a kid? And, and all this kind of stuff. And so he gained all this stuff, all this firsthand discipleship with Jesus and his mom, but also experiencing firsthand the filling of the Holy Spirit upon his life. And so he reflected upon these personal, direct experiences with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit alongside with him all these years. And this is what he wrote. Verse 39, John chapter 7. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now this he, Jesus, said about the Spirit. What is this that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit? That the Spirit would overflow. He would burst forth. He would flood. He would gush like a torrent. Rivers of living water from our innermost being. We know that the Spirit is with us, right? Para in the Greek. We know that the Spirit is in us, en. And when He's with us, He's convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When we accept Him as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He's in us. And that's when He starts molding us and shaping us and conforming us into the image of God. But then there's that third Greek preposition, epi, upon, over, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this is the experience when the Holy Spirit is overflowing out of your life just gushing and according to verse 38 the Holy Spirit like living water would flow like a gushing river from our innermost being if you find yourself spiritually dry if you find yourself spiritually thirsty you need to be filled properly it's not emotional and it's not physical you need the Holy Spirit to fill you and if you find your relationship with the Holy Spirit lacking or non-existent You can be satisfied. You can be spiritually satisfied. God desires to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that there is a flowing from our being, a gushing flood of dynamic power and life 
and freedom and love resulting from the Holy Spirit overflowing from us. Is there an overflow of the Holy Spirit coming from you? Coming from us, coming from our church. A torrent of living water that is flowing out of our being because the Holy Spirit has done that with you. Because God desires for us to experience this and we need it because I personally need it. Because the world is dying of spiritual thirst and if it's not coming out of me, what am I going to give them? A cup of water? Let's meet and talk about your feelings when they need spiritual satisfaction I need to give them the spiritual water so we need that we need that so desperately the apostle Paul opened his letter to the Corinthians with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, and so this is what I want to point out in verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul hoped and prayed for the Corinthians, that they would not lack in any spiritual gift. That's my hope and my prayer for you. You do not lack in any spiritual gift. I hope and pray that you don't lack in any of that and that God is working in your life to serve the kingdom of God through the dynamic overflowing of the Holy Spirit from your innermost being. That the Holy Spirit overflows from within you this gushing of living water to the glory of God. And if you are spiritually thirsty, there's hope for you. You don't have to stay thirsty. Jesus made a promise to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is how things ought to be. How things ought to be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How things ought to be, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. If you are spiritually thirsty and you want things how they ought to be, how God intended things to be, you're going to be satisfied. It's a promise. And Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 38, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Go to Jesus. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Those are the promises of Jesus. So if you're physically thirsty... Go to the cafe. If you are emotionally thirsty, get plugged into a community here and they're going to help meet that need. They're going to talk with you and ask how you're doing emotionally and feeling and, and just kind of serve you in those ways and help you feel like you belong and help you feel like you're loved and they're going to come around you in that way. If you're spiritually thirsty, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. You don't go to the cafe the bar or the club or whatever, right? You don't go to the therapist to ask how you're feeling. You go to Jesus if you're spiritually thirsty. And your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. 
And it will touch other people. And when it touches others, those who are spiritually thirsty, hopefully they come to the realization that they can receive the same thing that you did in God's love and his power and his freedom and his life. We live in a spiritually thirsty world that needs Jesus, that needs the Holy Spirit to fill us to overflowing and from us delivering us the living water to spiritually thirsty people. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your promise to give us the comforter, the paraclete, the advocate. I ask, God, for your filling of the Holy Spirit in each person here, in myself, in our church. We so desperately need it so that we can minister to others also who are spiritually thirsty. And so, Lord, may you fill us so that we may go about doing your work. In Jesus' name, amen.